0: Hi, I'm Vivian Wang, co-founder of the Wiser Podcast, where we continue to have discussions about women in surgery with Emory surgeons, in addition to interviewing surgeons beyond our local community. Welcome back to another episode of Wiser. I am Jessica Liu, one of the chief residents at Emory, and I'm here with Katia Von Anderlecht, a third-year medical student at Emory. Today, we are thrilled to have Dr. Christine Castater here with us. Dr. Castader is a recent graduate from Emory's Trauma and Acute Care Surgery Fellowship and is now a trauma and acute care surgeon at Wellstar Kennestone Hospital. She attended medical school at the University of Connecticut, where she also obtained her MBA during that time and completed her general surgery training at UCSF in Francisco. Dr. Castator has had a unique and non traditional pathway and had a whole career before she joined medicine and marketing, working at Deer Marketing Inc. in New York, which we can't wait to hear more about. Thank you so much for joining us today, Christine. I'm so happy to be here. Let's start off with a bit about yourself and your whole other life before medicine. It, it depends on how long we have. Back
1: in the dark ages, I was actually an artist. I was a fine artist. as a painter and a sculptor. I was at the School of Art Institute of Chicago. I had my daughter when I was in art school. And then when I had my daughter, I decided I needed to have some sort of like real career. And so I kind of randomly chose marketing, then lived in New York, and I went to school for marketing at NYU. I Worked for a number of different um, entertainment marketing firms. I did all these entertainment promotions. And then my my father was actually um, killed in a car accident. And when that happened, I remember just having this realization that I wanted to do something different with my life. Because he was a social worker in the inner city of Hartford. And he had all these people whose lives that he influenced. And I kind of looked around at my life, and I was like, "What am I doing with my life? I'm just I'm doing marketing, and if I died tomorrow, I haven't made any impact on the world." So I decided that I was going to quit my job and I quit school, um, and I moved out to California with a plan to go back to school. I didn't actually know what I was going to do, but I just was like, "I'm going to do something different." And then through a series of unfortunate events, I was attacked, and so I ended up having a lot of injuries. And I was uninsured because I was in between job and going back to school. I think when you're young, you just kind of think that nothing bad is really going to happen to you. And I ended up having to move back to Connecticut because that's where my family was. It took me about five years to get healthy enough to go back to school. But my experiences as a trauma patient is what made me decide that I really wanted to take care of trauma patients. And so I went back to school to finish my undergrad. I ended up being basically a triple UConn. I went back and did my undergrad in Connecticut and then also med school and my MBA as well. I think that a lot of times when I talk to people about my life, it makes people feel sometimes uncomfortable because I was attacked and that's an awful thing. But I think that in life, we take the good with the bad. And if I could be This same person without going through that. I would love that, but I don't see how that could happen. So I feel grateful for the experiences I've had because that kind of brought me to where I am today, which is a trauma surgeon taking care of trauma patients through what's the most difficult times
0: in their life. I'm so sorry you had to go through all that. And it's incredible that you took a journey from being a trauma patient to becoming a trauma surgeon. I can use a lot of what happened to me as the way that I can take care of patients
1: better. Nobody ever plans to be a trauma patient, but I can talk to them about how they can use this as a time to either make changes in their life or figure out what their support system is. And no matter how bad a situation is, they can always use it as a way to find something positive.
2: Thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your story and what you've been through. How long after this experience do you think it was when you started to realize that surgery was the path for you?
1: It was a while, actually, when I was in the hospital. That's when I decided that I wanted to try to go back to school to go to medical school. I can actually remember that. And this is after I was in the hospital, I was at home, had all these injuries, and I was watching the movie Patch Adams. In the beginning of Patch Adams, he's like in a hospital, and then he basically says, I'm going to go to medical school. But the guy says, well, I'm a medical doctor. And he says, yeah, but you suck at it. And I just remember thinking... That is so true. (laughs) There's so many people that go through things and would be so much better at being a physician than these doctors. And so I called my mother and I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. And she was like, okay, sure. (laughs) But then I had to move back to Connecticut. So it took me about five years until I um, got better, until I could actually go back to school. And then once I did, I tried to be pretty honest with myself about it. I had never really taken a science class. So I was like, if I take biology and I'm failing it, then this probably isn't going to actually be the career for me. But it turned out that, um, that I was good at it and I just kind of went straight through. I initially thought that I was going to go into psych. I knew that I wanted to take care of trauma patients, but I'm older I started medical school when I was 35, so I just had never considered surgery. I actually thought that I would be able to take care of trauma patients by being in psychiatry. And so that had been my plan actually all through the first two years of med school. I was very actively involved in the psychiatry interest group, and I did all this stuff in psych. And then when I went on the rotations, I fell in love with surgery. And on psychiatry, I really felt like by the time somebody is needing to get help from a psychiatrist for problems that they've, from their trauma, it's not that it's too late, but I wanted to be able to be on the front line and actually helping people so that they didn't progress and have more like psychological sequelae of their trauma. So to me, it made much more sense to go into surgery and go into trauma surgery. And all of my research interests and everything have to do with PTSD and acute stress and trauma patients. So I really didn't have any plans to go into surgery until after I was in my third year.
0: (laughs) Well, we're so glad that you did. I've had such wonderful experience working with you as one of our trauma fellows. So it's amazing to hear your story and hear a little bit more about where it came to be that you became who you were. And I, I still remember you were always the one in the Bay that would think about things like when a patient had come in because of, you know, Assaults or some sort of abuse from a domestic partner. You were always the one that was like, "We have to make sure she has a safe dispo and all, all that stuff." Is so important because you've, you know, you've been there and you've experienced it. I think it's clear through working with you that you have a different perspective that you were able to educate us on and making sure we provided well-rounded care. So, I think one of the great things about when, where we've trained and worked at Grady is there are some amazing. Doctors, nurses, shout out for the Grady Marcus Trauma Center nurses. They're the best in the hospital. Do you have any special nurses or doctors during your experience as a patient that really helped you understand empathy and patient care from your trauma that you can share?
1: I don't from my initial trauma, to be honest. But looking back, I think in my mind, I kind of demonized a lot of things that happened around that time. And now I I have the insight that it probably wasn't that they were all so awful, but I was going through something that was so bad that I couldn't necessarily see if people were doing something that was actually positive. What I do know is that afterwards when I was in Connecticut, I had one doctor that I was going to for follow-up. And I, honestly, I cannot remember her name. And I had asked my mom to try to figure this out for me. But I had told her that my plan was to try to go back to school and that I might want to be a doctor. And she was very much like, well, you should do that for sure. And I remember I went back to her a few times for follow-up. And then at some point I went back and she literally said to me, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? What am I doing? And she was like, what are you doing with your life right now? And I was like, well, you know, I'm getting better. And I'm, and she's like, you're better. You need to stop, like, being a patient. I thought you told me before you wanted to go back to school. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I am. I'm, you know, maybe next year. And and she was like, no, you need to go back to school now. What are you waiting for? Uh, and she really tough loved me and was like, you are not sick anymore. You're not injured anymore. You're just still living in this role. I think I saw her in November or something. And I started back to school in the spring semester. In the more recent years, I really want to get in touch with that doctor. I just wanted to let her know that I made it to here, that I was really grateful because she was really the instigator. And that definitely has stuck with me. And I wish if I ever connect with her, I will circle back with you and let you know, because I don't think I've told really many people that story.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Maybe she's one of our listeners and she'll hear this story and remember (laughs) you. I know that person, right? This can be how we discover who that was one thing I'm really curious about, too, is with the shift in your career decision, how did your family react, especially you had a daughter already? How did everyone take it and how is that transition? So when I went back to school, originally for undergrad,
1: even my daughter was in later elementary type school and she was then and also still is literally my number one fan, encouraging me every step of the way. I met my husband right before I started medical school. So I had a year off in between and I was doing research and I met him during that year. We had planned on getting married in the summer between first and second year. And then I was like, oh, med school, I don't know if we'll be able to plan a wedding. So we decided to actually move it up. and We got married in the summer before I started medical school, which I always joke that he would never have married me if he knew what he was getting into. To which he says that's not true. He has been so supportive. He has followed me like throughout my training from Connecticut out to California for residency and then here to Georgia. He also had always wanted to transition to being in real estate. And because I was in medical training, he really couldn't because I was basically riding him for his salary. So he worked in tech sales for pretty much all of the years that I was in training and he stayed in that, even though it was a, an area that he essentially hated just to support me through it. Now he's finally been able to transition to real estate. So that quite possibly makes me happier than even me finishing training is that he's finally able to do something that he actually loves. And also when I was deciding to change to, to do surgery, I was really stressed about that because psychiatry, which I had planned, is a much shorter course. and. I knew that I was roping myself into the five plus one or five plus two or seven plus two or some long period of time. And when I talked to him about it, and also my daughter, they had basically said, you can't go to medical school and then go into some specialty that you don't truly, truly love. And they knew that I was, you know, really in love with surgery. And so they were 100% on board with me going into surgery. Having said that, surgical training was very difficult. And they'll be the first ones to say that living with me through surgical training has been very, very hard, but they're, you know, still around. So like, I haven't gotten rid of them yet.
2: (laughs) It sounds like you have some really great cheerleaders on your side.
1: I definitely feel lucky.
2: Thanks for sharing a little bit about your experience in residency and how that was like for your family. I was wondering if during your residency, you were able to share a bit of your perspective that you brought with your other co-residents during the training.
1: Yeah, I think it was really unique since I am a little bit older. They would definitely look to me for advice and questions about like life things and when in residency I definitely understood a lot about managing a team and working between people and things like that because I had worked before and so I know that I was able to help my co-residents just navigate what is basically their first job for a lot of them and then also as a parent I am always so amazed by my fellow like female um, surgeons because I already had my children. And so my kids were like grown in out of the house. By the time I was in surgery residency, my daughter's 28 now. So she was like 22 when I started residency and my stepson's sons, um, blank her. So they're 20, they were like 21, 22, 23 then. So I felt like actually doing training that my kids were out of the house. It was a totally different thing than For my co residents who had children in residency. And so I was definitely able to like help them and relate to them through the process of like being a parent and a mother and a female. But as far as being a female surgeon mother, I never had to like navigate being pregnant and all that stuff. I didn't do any of that. So I definitely didn't have advice about that but I was able to just generally be supportive and also be their biggest cheerleader because I was
0: like, damn, I don't understand how you're doing this. I can barely even keep my head above water and you're having a baby. That's awesome. Well, in some ways, I think having a teenager or a 20-something-year-old can also be challenging during training.
1: I would say, honestly, the time that was the artist was when they were teenagers when I was in medical school. So when I was in med school, they were like, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, all of those teenage years (laughs) and teenagers are clinically insane for some portion of the time. So (laughs) having three of them at once during med school was like, I mean, residency was hard, but teenagers in med school was, uh, that was a tough, tough time. I had a number of reasons why I did my MBA, but one of the reasons honestly was that I didn't know if I could make it through med school. Right at that time, I think they were like 15, 16, 17. And I was like, I can't do this, you know? So my MBA year was a way for me to just be around more with my family and, and get through. And then the next year after that got started being on the like downward slope where
0: it got a little bit easier. As a mom during med school, to teenagers, do you feel like you missed out on anything? Like, or do you feel like you were still able to be present in the way that you wanted to? Because you had no control over your schedule in med school and residency. No, I definitely think that I was
1: still able to be around and be there for them because I i mean, I really don't think that I missed out on a lot of things. I do think that they just needed like a little bit more attention. And so
0: I took that extra year in order to do that. You were saying that some of your interests mostly are in PTSD following trauma. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the research that you've done in that?
1: So when I was in med school, I started giving talks at women's shelters, also for a class at a law school. Essentially, it was a talk about growing in a positive way from a negative experience and also why we should forgive people that hurt us even in awful ways. So then from that, once I went into surgery, I was at UCSF East Bay and It was very trauma heavy. That's one of the reasons I wanted to be there. I started doing things where I would talk to patients at the bedside about what I had been through and helping them to think about how they might be able to use this in a positive way. And so then I started thinking, we could develop this. This is great that I do this as somebody that was a trauma patient, but what would be better is if I could make this a thing where all people could do it as a bedside intervention So I developed an SBIRT, which is like a brief intervention for after trauma. So most of the SBIRTs have to do with basically a teachable moment. And so it's a brief intervention. You're basically saying, this is the thing that happened to you. What are the things that you can think about moving forward? So I developed an SBIRT for PTSD, where so patients think about and identify their support systems in their life. So that when they get out of the hospital, they have those things identified as a way to help them move through their trauma, because a lot of times, as providers, we see patients when they're in the hospital, but the problems all really happen even when they leave the hospital because then they leave the hospital and they have whatever disabilities they have, they are back in whatever situation that they're in, and they're they don't know where to turn and they have all these thoughts and all this stuff that they're like thinking about. And so, this intervention helps them to think about how are you going to make changes and also who are you going to turn to. And so at Grady, we rolled it out and we just finished the feasibility portion of the study, which is being presented this year at a Southeastern Surgical Conference, which is in Nashville. Now that that is done, we're going to expand it into a number of other things, which includes turning it into a multi-institutional, also expanding it. We started doing this only with gunshot wound victims, but expanding to penetrating trauma versus blunt trauma versus also you can expand it so that it includes even patients that are in the ICU. There's a lot of data to suggest that patients that just have an ICU stay
0: suffer from acute stress or PTSD. So I think there's a lot of applications for it. That's awesome. How is attending life? Tell us about the light at the end of the tunnel. It's great. I think. And when I talk to a lot of other attendings,
1: you're running this race, which is more like a marathon than a sprint. But when you get to the end of it, it's like, wait, what? (laughs) And so no matter where you are or how awesome you are, it's just such a change from what you were doing previously that I think a lot of that is a bit of an adjustment. And so I'm doing all this training. I'm like, I have this whole team of people and it's like I'm in the trenches with all these people. And then I knew I was like I'm gonna go to Kenistone. It was gonna be a very different hospital. And so I knew I was gonna have a lot of adjustments. <laughs> Having said that, I absolutely love Well Art Kenistone. It's an amazing large hospital. It's very busy with trauma. It has the largest emergency room in the state of Georgia. It's it's also the fifth busiest emergency room in the entire country. So it's a very big and busy place. And I love all the partners that I work with and all the people I work with. It's really great. I love it. I think any of my issues just have to do
0: with adjusting to being an attending and like, here's the bathroom and stuff like that. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that you're loving it. And it sounds definitely like you're thriving over there. One thing I think we completely skipped over was your history as an artist. Do you still do art now? And if not, do you intend to now with all your extra time? (laughs) So
1: all I really do is a lot of sketches. My office actually has a whole area that I've designated as an area that I can do art. And I've just recently bought stuff and I'm going to start painting again. I haven't really painted in a million years. Art is the thing that it's going to be my way of decompressing and therapy. I thought that I was going to do that all the way through my training and then I ended up just being so busy and having to study all the time that I was like, I just don't even have time for this. And instead, my ways of decompressing was family, food, <laughs> going to the movies and exercise, going outside and art. I just couldn't fit it. I just couldn't fit it. And I can fit it now. So I'm excited to do that. And there's a lot of talk and people who talk about art in medicine as a way to actually help us as providers, but then also to help um, patients.
2: So kind of touching upon how medicine itself can really be an art, there's a lot that we learn on the wards and from other physicians that we don't necessarily learn from the textbooks or at school. So as a medical trainee, what was the best advice that you received or thing that really stuck out that you learned from another physician?
1: This sounds stupid because I think that it's probably the thing that a, a, a lot of people would say, but I think during your training, just really appreciating and, and diving into all of those years, because that is the only time you're going to see a number of different pathologies and stuff like that and specialties that you're not in. Someone had told me, you know, med school might be hard, but instead of focusing on, oh, this is hard, I need to get through. Try to just breathe deeply and I actually appreciate your time going through it. And I think that was really great and sage advice. I'm not a runner, but when I talk to people who run, the people that really run long distances and stuff, they're not thinking about like, I have to get to that finish line. They're like involved in the whole aspect of running. And medical training is kind of like that. The more you can just breathe deep and lean into it, You'll actually enjoy your time and learn so much more.
0: I love that. And I think it's such a mature perspective, which stems obviously from you entering it a little later in life. I feel like personally, at least that I took my education for granted because I went from one school thing to another school, undergrad to medical school and all this. And it's easy to just forget to enjoy and appreciate the process and the experience of learning. Yeah, it's very
1: easy, I think, at the end of, and this is just not medical training, but it's very easy to, at the end, the end of life, at the end of a trip, at the end of whatever, to be like, wow, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. And so I just really try to be present in situations so that I can get the most out of it so that at the end, like when I'm on my deathbed, I know that I enjoyed my time here because that could be any time. I think I have a real... Acute sense of that since my father was hit by a car very young. He was like 46 when he died, and so I really—it's probably morbid—but I live every day like, well, this could be the last. Right now, I'm older than my father was when he died, and so every day I feel like is a blessing. What can I do today that will be better than yesterday? I do think every day about how can I be better or how can I help people more or just not being complacent, always trying to grow. I just don't ever want to sit back and then realize a whole year passed and I like didn't learn anything
0: or I didn't do anything different, not even a year, a week, a day. I don't want to waste time. Yeah, definitely. One thing I'd love to hear your perspective on, and I'm sure you're going to have a great positive spin on it, but being a trauma surgeon, it is traumatic as the surgeon or as the provider to experience some of the traumas that the patients feel. How do you come to grips with that? Or how do you avoid the burnout or the stress from the secondary trauma from being a trauma surgeon? I was really worried about that a lot. It's
1: one of the reasons that I really wanted to be somewhere that was very trauma heavy for my surgery training because I thought I wanted to go into trauma and I really need to be immersed in this as much as I can to see if it's going to affect me too much. But what I realized was that if I can approach every situation as a way to try to help the people in the situation, no matter how much I'm invested in it, it's not something that I'm going to actually really take home with me. And that doesn't mean that there's not times where a wife, or a child or a grandmother or something dies. And it doesn't, you know, make me sad because I really sympathize with the patients and families and what they're going through. But at the same time, it's the fact that I know that I'm trying to do the most that I can to not only take care of that patient, but also their families. So I know that I can try to talk to people and try to help them through this very negative and, and hard time. And that gives me so much joy that it helps
0: balance it out. Well, thank you for sharing that. And so we're going to switch gears a little. I think we've done a lot of the heavy stuff. (laughs) I learned (laughs) a lot just from talking to you. So it's been amazing. (laughs) We're going to move to some of the fun stuff. One of the things we started, uh, some of our traditional fun questions actually started with Dr. Hodge, who has the best music in the OR. What do you listen to Uh, in the OR? (laughs) I'm pretty sure
1: everyone knows about my playlist, which is called Me. I started it when I was a um, fourth-year resident. I think Dr. Hodge has a great playlist. I think mine is also great. The thing that's great about mine is that it um, literally ranges from everything from Britney Spears to Metallica. What I realized when I was a resident is that when I did get the opportunity to put on something, I would choose like a genre. So it would be dance music or modern pop. But then when I'm listening to it for a while, I'm like, well, I also want to listen to something else. So I started my own playlist and I add, would add music to it when I would think of it. So I have about 200 hours or something of music on there. I can I just listen to it on random. And I always tell people, if you don't like something on my playlist, just wait one second. There'll be something you like because it has everything from like trip hop to hip hop, so like 80s, Eagles okay. and all kinds of obscure stuff that nobody's ever heard before. So I I do frequently get people telling me that they like my playlist and then they sometimes follow it on Spotify. But yeah, it's a very eclectic mix.
0: <laughs> we have a wiser playlist of OR songs. And so we can add yours and mergers with Dr. Hodge. It'll be a super playlist. I will send it to you. <laughs> we
2: also like to ask our interviewees if they're reading any books or any book recommendations that they'd have for us and our listeners.
1: I'm not reading anything right now, but what I just bought was two books that were recommended to me while I was at East. One of them is called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's essentially about how you can work in a healing way to like with your mind in order to work like through your traumas. And someone recommended it to me because of all my PTSD research. And then the other one is called Positive Intelligence, Why Only 20% of Teams and Individuals Achieve Their True Potential and How You Can Achieve Yours. And it was in one of the East sessions where they were talking about people like to their peak and also being able to be great on a team. So one is more business-minded and one has to kind of do with my PTSD research. (laughs)
0: That's awesome. One you said sounds a little more businessy. How have you integrated your MBA into your practice or how would you like to integrate that degree that you got in the future?
1: So I think the way that I've integrated it the most is just with team building and interpersonal relationships. With the MBA, you take a whole bunch of core stuff and then you um, kind of tailor it. And so the tailored stuff I mostly did in management and also healthcare management. The general management stuff is what I've probably used the most. The reason I did the MBA is that I'm really interested in outcomes research and then also in healthcare administration. Since I'm older, I wanted to be able to have other things that I was doing besides just operating, even though I absolutely love operating. But I'm just worried that because I'm starting so much later, I need to have ways to have more of a breadth and length of my career. So my plan had been that the MBA was going to help me to make sure that I had other things that I could do that I could maybe transition into when I'm needing to have crutches and can't stand in the OR. So I would say the jury is still out on that right now. So I'll have to keep
0: you tuned with what happened. <laughs> Let us know.
2: So I was wondering if you had any mantras or quotes that you hold close to your heart that have kind of helped you through your training or that you'd like to share with us and the listeners?
1: I like a whole bunch of weird Yoda quotes, like there is no try, only do, (laughs) you know, things like that. (laughs) Also, that the only surgeon that doesn't have any complications is the one that isn't operating. I think I probably use that one the most, not because I have a lot of complications, but because I think we always have conversations with people who are upset about something that happened. And I just am always reminding people of that fact. It's fine. You're still a great surgeon.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) And I think I would put that one at the top
0: of my list. Awesome. Another fun one. How is it being a grandmother? Tell us all about the new baby. (laughs) Oh my
1: gosh. It's so great. She is literally the most amazing thing. I think the the worst thing about her is that I actually want to figure out how, now that I just finished training, I can just quit and be a stay-at-home grandmother because I love her so much. I wouldn't be with her every minute of every day. Luckily, I have a very close relationship with my daughter because I mean, I literally said to her more than one time, I'm so sorry that I'm always calling you or like wanting to come by. And, you know, because I because I just, you know, I want to give you your space. I just want to see her. To which she said, it's okay. I love you so much. I love whenever you want to come over. And I was like, great. Even if you don't mean it, I appreciate you saying it.
0: <laughs> that is so sweet. It sounds like you and your daughter have such a great relationship. Yeah, she
1: went for her one month checkup today. She was born... Like almost three weeks early. So she was a little bit on the smaller side, but she's gained, she was born at five pounds, 15 ounces, and she weighs like close to eight pounds now. So she's gained, she's like, so basically like two pounds, which is great because my daughter's breastfeeding and typically breastfed babies don't gain quite as much weight. So she's obviously doing pretty well.
0: That's awesome. Well, we look forward to printing a little asterisk with your uh, your post being like, at the time of this recording, Dr. Castator is now working as her granddaughter's stand with <laughs> grandmother nanny. <laughs> so, if I can just figure out a way to do that,
1: <laughs> if I can get grants or something that'll pay me to do that. If you hear of anything, hit me up. I'm Granny Surgeon on Twitter. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, thank you so much for answering all the ones that we had for you.
1: Thanks for having me here. I felt so badly having to cancel before, but also that meant that I had all of this amazing stuff to talk about my granddaughter, which is my favorite topic of
0: conversation. Oh my gosh, I bet. And I've seen the pictures. She's super cute. Well, thank you again so much for your time. And it's been so wonderful hearing about your experience and how you've been inspired in your life to change a horrible experience into something wonderful. We really miss you here at Emory. We've loved working with
3: you and hopefully we'll get to see you soon. Hi all. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Wiser. My name is Cameron Blunt and M4 at Emory University School of Medicine. Patients Timmy and I will be the incoming co-presidents for the 2022-2023 academic year. Our new director will be Dr. Jessica Kielsen. Today, we would like to give a special shout out to the outgoing team members who helped make Wiser possible over the past few years, including Dr. Dora Denko, Dr. Alex Speak, and Dr. Jessica Lou McMullen. We are so excited for them and cannot wait to see what they will do next. Dr. Dora Danko is going on to General Surgery Residency at Emory University. Dr. Alex Speak is going on to Plastic Surgery Residency at Université de Montreal. Dr. Jessica Lou McMullen is going on to Endocrine Surgery Fellowship at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Please be sure to stay on the lookout for the newsletter in the fall, introducing the new leadership, as well as a fundraiser for WISER. Also, please rate and leave us a review and share the show with your peers, friends, and family. Thank you.